Let us pray. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Almighty God, who gave to your servant Oscar boldness to confess the name of our Savior Jesus Christ before the rulers of this world, and courage to die for this faith, grant that we may always be ready to give a reason for the hope that is in us, and to suffer gladly for the sake of our Lord Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. He was at the altar celebrating Mass when the shot went off. Who knows how many times he had repeated these words over the bread and the wine, sanctifying them to become the body and blood of the slain, crucified Christ. Who knows how many masses he had celebrated with these Salvadorans, but this would be his last. And as the sound of the gunshot echoed in the ceilings of the chapel of the Divine Providence Hospital, blood began to pour forth from the archbishop's chest, soaking his vestments with red. One of the witnesses of the killing remembers seeing blood sprinkled from the archbishop's pierced heart onto the sacramental host. A strange mixing of the martyr's own body and blood with the body and blood of Christ, a union of two crucified ones. A vivid picture of the church's theology of martyrdom, in fact, her conviction that the martyred share most intensely in the sufferings of Christ and united to him embody in vivid form the proclamation of his saving death, which conquers all death and evil. St. Oscar Romero stumbled to the ground. The pastor and shepherd of El Salvador's poor church had been executed while celebrating the sacrament, which was the center of his life and ministry. A single bullet had been fired from the street through the church's open doors, down the center aisle, into the chest of the archbishop. It came from the gun of a sniper sent by one of the Salvadoran military dictatorship's death squads. For the state, Romero's assassination was just one of thousands of executions of political dissidents and threats. But for the church, it was, as one person put it, the killing that broke the heart of El Salvador. I don't know about you, but when I think about martyrdom, I sometimes have a tendency to romanticize it. The tales of ancient women and men standing brave in the Colosseum or resolute in faith while being tied to the stake, these are the images that populate my imagination when I think of martyrdom. And sometimes because of this, I think of the martyrs as almost mythical figures figures of many ages past. And I think of their martyrdoms in a likewise mythical fashion sometimes. 
But when confronted with a killing like St. Oscar Romero's, a modern martyrdom by paramilitary rifle, I'm reminded that all martyrdoms are ugly affairs. Horrors at least as terrorizing as the cross. And it's precisely because of their horror that martyrdoms image the cross. It is by boldly and confidently staring death and evil in the face, letting it do its worst, and entrusting one's life to the God of resurrection. It's precisely in this that martyrdoms become for us icons of the cross and resurrection, the trampling of death by death. And St. Oscar Romero images for us not only the cross of our Savior, but the extension of Christ's saving death to us through the sacrament of his passion, that is, the Holy Eucharist. Romero's death at the altar intensifies our liturgy's own claim that in offering our gifts of bread and wine, we also offer ourselves our souls and bodies. And so as one nun remarked, remembering that fateful mass, we saw it as God saying, today, Oscar, I am not asking you to offer the bread and the wine. Today, the victim will be you. But how did Romero find himself here at this altar being gunned down by his own government? It's a surprising story in some ways. Archbishop Romero was not at first an obvious candidate for this martyrdom. He was appointed Archbishop of San Salvador in 1977 amidst an unfolding civil war between El Salvador's repressive military government and militant insurrectionists. The conflict had been brewing in El Salvador for decades. The Salvadoran economy had been rapidly transformed decades earlier, positioning, positioning the country as a cash crop state for U.S. consumption. The decades following saw an ever-increasing stratification of society, the benefits of open trade being confined to a small group of land-owning elites composing just 2% of the population. Over time, the country became irreparably divided between a peasant majority of working poor masses and a wealthy minority class with control over the government, farms, banks, media, and military. And the church found herself caught in between, stuck in a brutal crossfire that was turning increasingly more violent. By the late 1970s, El Salvador's government had become a military dictatorship, suspending civil liberties, disappearing civilians, executing political dissidents through military and paramilitary death squads, often leaving tortured bodies scattered throughout the cities to terrorize the population and any who might entertain the idea of resistance or rebellion. It's nearly impossible to know how many tens of thousands of Salvadorans were killed or disappeared during the repression. But among the numbered are numerous priests and religious who protested the violence and defended the poor and protected them in the name of the gospel. 
But Romero was not originally one of these clerics. His appointment to the archbishop in the country's capital was welcomed by the government and the ruling class. He had clearly identified himself as not a threat, one unwilling to exacerbate the current tensions and conflicts and unrest. But while he was archbishop, Romero began to undergo a profound conversion, one which he named as a conversion to the plight of the poor. He listened to the stories of parish priests under his care, heard of the horrors they witness in their neighborhoods and in their parishes. He spent time with itinerant farm workers, with rural campesinos and urban peasants. He refused the bishop's residence, choosing instead to live in a small back room of a hospital chapel, spending his days among the sick, among poor nurses, and Carmelite sisters who cared for the dying. This was where he made his home. He began to hear the cries of the oppressed, their stories and their struggles, the horrors they face daily under the repressive Salvadorian regime. And he came to see himself as bound to these people, coming home, as he put it once the more he immersed himself in their pain and their struggle. These experiences, these small conversions in which Romero's heart became increasingly united to the hearts of El Salvador's suffering poor, culminated in perhaps the most transformative event of Romero's ministry. In March of 1977, Romero's close friend, Father Rutilio Grande, an outspoken critic of the government's violent repression, was murdered by Salvadoran security forces. Romero's heart was broken. He recounted seeing Rutilio's slain body. When I looked at Rutilio lying there dead, I thought, if they have killed him for doing what he did, then I too have to walk the same path. Romero's response to this brutal murder of a priest exemplified his resolution to remain neutral no longer, but to, but to stand decidedly for the cause of the poor. And so the Sunday after Rutilio's murder, Romero celebrated a funeral mass in the city's cathedral. It would be the only mass celebrated in the archdiocese that day. Romero called all diocesan clergy and parishioners to attend a single Eucharistic liturgy, summoning the whole church in solidarity in one place around one table in repentance and worship and prayer. And so amidst an unfolding class war which ran right through the church herself, Romero's decision forced rich and peasant congregants of parishes and wealthy and poor neighborhoods to worship as one body in one place. Though the Salvadoran elite reacted in indignation to the scandal of being forced into pews with peasants to kneel side by side before the same altar, Romero insisted on the church's visible unity around one Eucharistic table a solidarity which protested the violence and oppression in the streets outside. The funeral mass commenced Romero's renewed ministry 
of direct opposition to state repression, prophetic repudiation of the military government's war on the poor, and great pastoral care for the poor and for the oppressed. Archbishop Romero had become the pastor of the poor, and as the people soon came to call him, the voice of the voiceless. In the years to follow, Romero would become increasingly more vocal in his opposition to the regime. Thousands flocked to hear his sermons in the cathedral. Millions heard them broadcasted on the radio each week. In them, he protested the government's brutal violence against civilians, its disappearing of persons, its torture, its labor abuses, its military occupation of churches. He proclaimed the gospel of God's mercy to the poor and liberation for the oppressed. And perhaps most astoundingly, he committed each Sunday in the homily to speaking the names of those tortured, disappeared, killed, and harmed that week, slowly, one by one, from the pulpit. He memorialized the victims within his flock and so built up his church as a community of solidarity and love, a body in which when one member suffers, no matter how poor, how marginal, all suffer. And in so doing, he provoked the anxiety and rage of the state. And so on March 23rd, 1980, Romero called upon Salvadoran soldiers to refuse their orders that entailed unjust repression and violence and to instead obey the higher law of God. And he knew that by doing so, he was signing his own death warrant. And so the following day, as he prepared the Eucharistic elements on the altar, he was assassinated by a paramilitary gunman. The people's pastor had been martyred. But Romero's blood was the seed of the Salvadoran church, which in the years to follow committed itself to Romero's call for justice and mercy to the poor and to the oppressed. St. Oscar Romero was a martyr of the poor. He died for, with, and in defense of the oppressed because he was convinced that God in Christ had himself become poor, taking the form of a slave, and had so bound himself to this people. But St. Oscar Romero pledged himself to the defense of the poor and oppressed, not simply out of duty or conviction. In the end, it was simply because he loved the poor, because he made himself poor in solidarity with them. It was because he loved the poor that Romero took up this cross. It was grace that inclined his ears to hear the cries of their suffering, and grace that moved his heart in mercy to alleviate it, and grace that fueled his relentless calls for justice for the oppressed. It was grace that caused Romero to love the poor, and this was the grace of his martyrdom. May we be so transformed by the grace of the one who became poor so that all might become rich in his grace. 
May we be transformed by his grace and inspired by the witness of St. Oscar Romero that we might love the poor with fierce mercy and love justice with even fiercer righteousness. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.